Hi, everybody. Mark Iskowitz here, MMNM Executive Editor, and welcome to the MMNM Podcast. This week, I'm speaking with Nathaniel Wren, co-founder and chief growth officer at Bowie Health, a Boston-based startup that offers an AI-powered symptom checker. How are you doing, Nate? Good. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. You're based in Boston, but you have an office in New York City, so we were lucky to, to get Nate to uh, come down to our studio, so we're thrilled to have you. Thanks again. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, a couple weeks ago, MMNM featured a couple of guests on the podcast who talked about how pharma is using chatbots to get HCPs, quick access to medical information. Uh, as a patient-facing service, Bowie Health represents the other side of the coin. Their machine learning-powered chatbot launched about three years ago, uh, so it's, it's seen its share of outbreaks, including multiple flu seasons. Uh, recently, it's been in the news for being one of a number of app-based screening tools that are on the front lines of now also helping detect the novel coronavirus. We hear from Nate about how healthcare is harnessing these AI-powered chatbots, what they're good at and their limitations, as well as Bowie's role in screening for coronavirus in a moment. But first, a few housekeeping items. Just want to let everybody know that the Healthcare Marketers Survey is out in the field now. It's uh, your last chance to fill that out. So if you're a qualifying respondent, uh, like a brand manager for pharma, biotech, or medical device or diagnostics company, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, please take a moment to fill out the survey. It really helps us paint an accurate picture of where marketing budgets are going and it helps other people to allocate their budgets as well. Um, MMNM's first annual 40 Under 40 list is online today, uh, so you can interact with that list uh, and share it. Um, speaking of which, tickets for the 40 Under 40 event are on sale now, and the event takes place on May 12th in NYC. Uh, applications for another new event, the MMNM Pitch Slam, are open until February 20th, so you have a few more days left on that one. Uh, the MMNM Awards are open for business, so you can find out information on that. Uh, and last but not least, this month is Data Month at MMNM. So uh, besides our February issue, uh, which is dubbed the Data Issue, thanks to its focus on healthcare data and analytics as it pertains to healthcare marketing, throughout the month of February, we're featuring a number of guests on this podcast who have a unique perspective on data. And that's a perfect segue to Nate. So uh, back to you, Nate. <laughs> sure. Uh, so Exciting. I thought I'd, I'd break the conversation kind of down into two main parts, the chatbot and AI, and then kind of epidemiological, uh, digital epidemiological tools, kind of the second half. Uh, but let's just start with your background a little bit. You know, um, you're a Harvard graduate. You did some analyst work. How did you get into this area of data science and, you know, take us forward into the, to the roots of Bowie Health? Sure. Sure thing. Um, well, I, I, medicine wasn't foreign to me. I grew up in a, my dad was a doctor. And, okay. Um, he actually always wanted me to become a doctor. Um, and seeing him saving lives uh, was definitely inspiration. Um, but uh, when I got into college, I wanted to do something that could touch potentially millions of people's lives. And so I thought business might be the way to do it. And uh, my co-founder, Andrew, gave me a call one day and said he had this idea for, for how AI could be advanced in healthcare. And I gave it some thought. And, you know, to me, this idea that you forever will search in a one sentence something as complicated as your symptoms felt at the time very backward. This idea that there's going to be intelligent machine that can ask questions and then bet better understand your your symptoms and your condition felt like kind of first principle has to be the future. You know, in an ideal world, you you want to clone your best doctors overnight and just send them all over the world to every sick person on the planet. 
but obviously you can't do that. And the next best thing probably is a machine. If we can get it to um, you know, some reasonable state or maybe even beyond that, then I think it's going to do the world a lot of good. Mm-hmm. So I've heard that before amongst you know people that uh, even those who started off in medicine and switched over to the tech world, the ability to have an impact on scale, you know, was was very sort of um, inspiring to them, uh, and why they kind of seized that opportunity. Did did the sort of the the fact not not the fear factor is not the best way to describe it, but sort of the you know AI's you know basically you know when it comes down to it, kind of uh, learns uh, from you know past information and knowledge and kind of just takes knowledge forward to, you know, based on patterns to kind of project and make decisions based on patterns, whereas a a human doctor, you know, takes all their experience and knowledge and also is comfortable with a certain amount of risk, whereas you don't kind of see that in AI. Did that scare you at all in terms of AI's potential to make an impact on healthcare? Um, Well... I think AI has advanced in so many different ways nowadays that there are like different types. So you can talk about deep learning, you can talk about reinforcement learning. Now there's this adversarial kind of network and stuff. Um, so I think I wasn't too afraid of it. And in fact, I think we always wanted to help doctors. You know, one of the biggest problems they have is misinformation online. And so a lot of doctors spend time in the ER room kind of uh, seeing patients that um, might not need to be in the ER room and not have enough time for those who who do. So when I talk to my doctor friends, they all love a system like this. Um, I'm not sure if I answered your question correctly, but um, that was my initial thought. Yeah, so the ability to, you know, make a difference at scale, you know, take the, the knowledge from, from sort of accumulated from the best um, medis- medical minds and kind of apply that more more broadly, you know, through through a tool that's textual-based, of course. Yeah, and yeah, I should see that as a, um, a big advantage of machines, Um in that they could think about thousands of variables at one time. Mm-hmm. And um, in theory, the neural networks are trained on you know millions of data records, right? Um, but I just want to make it very clear that I don't ever see this as kind of better than humans who are replacing human. It's more of a kind of if you were to... The way I think about it is if you were to think about Google and searching online and reading 10 articles or call up one of your medical school buddies versus AI that's trained on millions of records, mm-hmm. that's where the opportunity comes from. And right. then I think the doctors would definitely uh, come in afterwards. Right. And there's a lot of benefits uh, that we're going to talk about in terms of um, you know, keeping people out of the ER if they are contagious um, for instance, uh, in, in the case of flu or, or coronavirus, um, and then um, getting them, you know, to the right healthcare provider. Um, so, uh, so let, let's get into it. Um, Bowie Health launched what around March 2017? Is that that's the um, yeah? That's when the site went public. But we actually spent four years before that developing the thing. Mm, okay. Yeah, it took. Um, one of the challenges for making the platform is you need data. You need data, and data is hard to come by, right? A lot of 
um, it's healthcare data is probably one of the hardest to come by. And so in, an, in, in the first few years, we had to just scrape thousands of papers, essentially, mm-hmm. to try to get um, data another way. Mm-hmm. Right, so, so you're, you're a partner and you decided to, to do this. Where did, where did you get your data from? It's just research papers, published mm-hmm. research papers. You know, they would mm-hmm. do. Are there um, big data depo- repositories that you can uh, access to train your AI? Um, I, no, it's not like a repository. It's more of um, like they would say, uh, you know, we did this study and found that 40% of people who have X, Y, and Z tend to have cough. You know, that type of mm-hmm. thing. So those type of little snippets here mm-hmm. and there, um, if you collect a lot of them, you can create something in the beginning um, that works. I think one misconception people have about machine learning AI is that they think it's kind of like a switch you turn on. Um, in reality, I think AI is, and especially machine learning, it's kind of a multi agent, you hear that word, multi-agent approach where there are many different intelligent things you're trying to build underneath the hood. Sometimes you might have the data for it, sometimes you might not. And, you know, it's not about just mm-hmm. one switch on the whole thing kind of. Right. So you kind of want to phase into it. Okay. Into okay. It. Yeah. You don't want to grow beyond, you know, where, you know, the data enable you to to get to too quickly uh, how many million users you have at this point nine nine million okay. so nine million people use the we call buoy assistant we use buoy assistant mm-hmm. um, the chat interview interface but a lot more people have come to our site to read content and stuff like that right okay um, talk about how it works is it a subscription-based model it's free for everyone mm-hmm. um, you go on to buoyhealth.com, uh, soon will be buoy.com, uh, click the button, and you'll start asking you questions. Um, so that's one way to navigate. Another way we want to um, make sure that in case you know people don't hear about uh, buoy.com or don't know what it, that is, if they're just simply searching for symptoms online, what we're trying to do is make sure our content show up doing those searches. So if you search for something like Clear vomit. Right? We probably would come up with an article on buoy on clear vomit, and then that would have a prompt for you to go into the buoy assistant. Okay. Now a lot of one of the, one of the things that when I was talking to the, the HCP facing chatbot people, they were saying the thing that um, uh, about patient facing chatbots is that the, the the conversational AI obviously is different. You know, you, there's going to be a lot more jargon and specific language used on an HCP facing chatbot. Um, than on a patient one, um, but you also have to um, take into account that patients kind of sometimes use clinical terms in a non-clinical way. Like this, this problem is a real headache for me. Not saying that they have a headache per se. Was that an issue in kind of training up your your AI? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, a lot of nuances there. You know, we first um, we got our initial start from this professor named Warner Slack. He's um, considered Wiley as the father of cyber medicine, and he started this vision in the 70s, and he accumulated a bank of questions that over time he kind of realized, you know, nuances of how people do it. So we started with that mm-hmm. bank of questions. And then the next frontier was to tackle, like, how people search 
um, how people describe their symptoms. Not everyone describes productive cough, for instance, as productive cough. They might say, I have mucus in my, with my cough or something like that. So machine learning definitely has helped in terms of that area. Okay. Okay. And getting down your, the taxonomy, yep. you know, of how people would describe symptoms and pulling that, pulling out of that, the relevant bits. Uh, so, so what kind of diagnostic accuracy, if that is a, is a, is a good question, does it have at this point? That's a, um, that's a really good question. I would say on a number, but I want to um, make it clear that it's a very complicated subject. Um, there are many facets to it. So when I say 70-ish percent, um, you know, 75% of people say that what we told them was what the doctor eventually told them. That's what we kind of measure, and obviously the, the better that rate the, the higher that rate we're working toward high rates but there's a lot of like you can tell people one thing they might think it's another they might act on it differently than what you told them etc etc um, doctors you know everybody you, you sometimes you can't tell without like a blood test or um, physical exam right so we're actively trying to get so the ultimate truth, which is you follow through the whole thing, you follow through the entire journey, you get the blood work, and they punch it in. Um, so when I say 70-something 70, 70 percent, there's just a lot of facets to it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to mislead people into thinking that, oh, it's just like, you know, just blood work confirmed type of thing. Uh -huh. yeah, so yeah. you you confirm those diagnoses in multiple ways. In different ways. Different yeah. ways, but you're comfortable with that general 7 out of 10 approximately. Yeah, it's what we track figure. internally. It's what okay. we're benchmarking against. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, so, you know, what's, what's impressed you about harnessing AI in this manner? And on the flip side, what are the limitations that you've discovered of the, of the tool? Sorry, I missed the first part. Yeah, what, what's impressed you, you know, about harnessing AI in this manner? Um, I think AI generally just really fascinates me. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if you, I'm sure you've heard of how it's applied in healthcare, but in other areas like um, uh, Game of Go or um, these, these really complicated games like StarCraft, we're really mm -hmm. starting to make yeah. very interesting, very interesting advancement. I mean, the DeepMind folks at Google are working on protein folding, right? You used to have, you used to need um, these giant machines, a lot of cost to predict what the protein structure is going to be based on the peptide sequence. Now machine learning can, can get you very well. Um, so the potential for like something that's, surprising even to humans that perhaps we can learn something from machines how they think about the problem um the non-biases machines can have i'm in general just very fascinated about its potential going forward okay you know. and the limitations limitations yeah um you know they uh a lot of times take a lot of data to do something that we think are <laughs> simple like is this a cat or a dog right um but we're advancing really quickly, right? Like a StarCraft or a game, AlphaGo, it takes 
thousands of years for humans to learn all of the rules, right? Chess. We developed a machine that could beat human best player in the world 20 years ago. And then this new approach in AI beat that machine in four hours of training. So it's just the speed at which. Um, but yeah, they, they can be um, hard to work with uh, sometimes. Yeah, a lot yeah. of parameters to tweak and stuff. <laughs> Nothing is intuitive by nature. It's not intuitive. A lot of times it's not clear what happens. So in deep learning, right, you're not clear what's going on in the middle layers, how the machine's recognizing patterns. Um, sometimes it could look like a black box. Um, mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I think we're figuring all of those things out. You know, there's new advancements now where um, if you have limited amount of data, how to like create synthetic data based on that limited amount. Mm -hmm. so that you're kind of squeezing the most juice out of what you have type mm -hmm, of thing. Mm -hmm. so it's very yeah. cool yeah yeah okay cool so uh switching gears you know from with coronavirus uh, how did you update your algorithm to properly screen for that yeah um we worked with the cdc we follow their guidelines uh, what they're telling us is what we're following you know if they say um, these are the symptoms these are the risk factors you need to watch out for and their recommendations were following that almost up to date with that and then i think we're working with help health map mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, john brownstein's john group. brownstein's uh his team's leading that and mm -hmm. uh, what they're doing is they're kind of looking at geographically you know what um what could be alarms that are triggering on their end and then what we do is we take a look at the users that are coming in that geography. You know, do we actually see what they're seeing? Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, I hope it's to get to the point where like, we work with them in tandem, we confirm it, and then if we're seeing what, what they're seeing, um, alert public officials mm -hmm. before mm -hmm. kind of anybody gets into the hospital because nowadays, the front door is internet, right? People, I think there's a stat, we, we published something like, um, people come way earlier to buoy to tell us how long they have had symptoms than if you look at that stat in a hospital setting. So they're much, we're catching them much earlier is my point. Right. You're sitting at a kind of a unique moment in the healthcare journey, right? Um, the moment before someone actually makes a decision to seek care, whether they do need care. Uh, so that kind of positions you to generate data that very few other companies or even government agencies can access. And you're working with John Brownstein's digital epidemiological tool, it sounds like, to you know, coordinate you know, what else is going on on the landscape. I know I've heard I've read John, you know, his take on that in terms of putting the, the public back in public health, you know, where you're really tapping into uh, the public's uh, sentiment, you know, through these digital tools, whether it's um, an app based symptom checker or a digital thermometer, collecting all this data, you know, at these moments, these early moments. And there's advantages to that because you can you can you can have a better chance of seeing people early on. Um, you're reducing risk because they're not going into an ER, they're not going into a, an environment where they could infect other people, potentially, um, and you're helping people interpret their symptoms. 
So um, what, what kind of data, you know, if you feel comfortable talking about it, are you generating, say, on the, on the severity of the coronavirus um, issue, problem, pandemic, epidemic? You know, I, well, first, we take privacy very seriously. Um, so I can't talk on like individuals or anything Sure, of like course that. not. Yeah, I'm just on, on an aggregate basis. Um, and I think the thing came out about a week ago. Um, and so I think it's still preliminary. And I'm sure. not very close to the analysis so far. But I know there are people working on that for sure. Okay, okay. Um, are there, you know, lessons you learned, say, during the past couple of few flu, excuse me, seasons, you know, that, uh, you know, were very telling and that kind of, you know, you can share some kind of insights? Ooh, um, past few. Uh, um, well, we're learning things like, you know, if somebody comes in with a cough, how, what is the probability, like, how much are they more likely to have a fever, for instance? So we're learning a lot of that. And that's certainly being, being a very cool. Another thing is we're working with um, insurance companies and self-insured employers to um, kind of provide services they're already paying for that are free to users so that if we do catch someone in, um, not with flu, but let's say with lower back pain mm -hmm. um, in the wild and they just haven't thought of all these things that are free to them that their employers already pay for, uh, we've been kind of looking at ways to, to direct those people there to help them. Um, you know, I sit on, so my work is on user acquisitions. Um, I don't sit very closely with the data team um, to look at that part. So I can't speak very confidently on what kind of patterns um, they've been they've been looking at. Um, but I'm happy to talk about anything else having to do with higher level or like um, acquiring users. That's my specialty. Sure, sure. So you're, you're partnering with some, some insurers uh, it sounds like uh, is that to um, to make this uh, a part of the benefits, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because a lot of people, well, even you and I, we don't think of going to our like HR health benefits portal when we're sick, right? Mm -hmm. We either Google or just call, call up a friend, or go to the ER. Mm -hmm. So this is a way to get people in the wild. We call it um, that when they're self-diagnosing we can mm -hmm. give them services that they weren't aware of sure are any of those press released yet any of those agreements or that's sort of still in the i'm sure he had a couple um uh we worked with new york times um mm -hmm. to get get their employee benefits up um on the uh we worked with freighter hospital um, to get their employees to go through buoy assistant hmm. Um, and then, um, yeah, we're working on some other stuff that I can't talk about. Okay. <laughs> good, good. Um, and, uh, you know, just in, in general, um, you know, just your comment on, um, you know, how these data can be used to improve the greater health system, like, you know, the way patients receive and are guided to care or educated about disease, you know, how is it kind of, you know, uh, you know improving healthcare in general? 
uh, how like how I've seen this thing improve healthcare in general. Yeah, like you know, as as we yeah, yeah. Um, as as these these kind of technology based digital care tools proliferate more to a greater extent, you know, how is it affecting healthcare on on a macro level? Oh, okay. Well, let me talk a little bit about how how I've seen at Bowie, and then maybe a little bit outside. Okay. So, I think we published a paper um, on this where we took so we asked people before they went through Bowie Assistant, how scared are you, or like, what do you think you need to do right now? And we one of the options I they really think they need to go to the ER right now, right now. <laughs> And then we asked the same question after they gone through the interview, and we asked them questions, and we showed them what we think it is, um, and kind of some reasoning behind it. And then we asked them again, "What do you think?" Mm-hmm. And I think it was the stat was something like thirty percent decrease in how many people now think that they have to rush to the ER and spend two thousand um, dollars. And the similar stats for when people are not sure what to do, significant improvement in terms of now they feel like they have a game plan. Mm-hmm, and that's, mm-hmm. you know, the mission of Bowie is just the best. We want to be the best way for people to get better. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, that's all it is. So, In an outbreak situation, you want to be a voice of reason. You want to be a, vo- a calming yep. influence, right? Yep, yep. Um, in coronavirus, we want to make sure that just because you have a cough or a fever, uh, you don't freak yourself out on um, maybe it's just a seasonal flu. Sure. It's not the coronavirus. So. Sure. Okay. Um, macroly, you know, this just is my dream in that there are many parts of the world. So the U.S., with all its problem, it's still one of the best, you know, most advanced. But if you go to, like, um, developing countries or, uh, you know, third world countries, there are many parts of the world where it's just voodoo medicine, right? It's like pseudo medicine, pseudoscience type of thing. And that idea that all of these companies are working on tools that can land in someone's pocket to where they can be informed about how to treat their doc their children rather than go to the village you know, go to their community head and have some non medically trained person tell them to stay home, right? That's what gets me up at night, again uh, in the morning to go to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It can really make a big difference, um, you know, in, in areas, uh, rural areas uh, specifically. And so that's a nice uh, way to, to sort of end. You know, that's that's a nice vision for the future. You know, how AI can really make an impact. So uh, let's switch gears uh, to our lightning round. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, um, as we always do, what, what do you read every day? Uh, um, I read some entrepreneur stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, some books I like. Uh, Unscalable. Uh, Unscalable. Unscalable. Okay. Uh, really like that. Short read. Okay. Very good for people who are starting out. Hooked is another one of my favorites. It's about um, how you produce, how you create a product that people love to use over and over again. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. like a science behind it now. Okay. Uh, so that's another one. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, you're in the AI business, you know, working for this tech startup. Who do you consider the smartest people in artificial intelligence? Mm, David Silver comes to mind. He uh, He's part of DeepMind. Uh, okay, Google DeepMind. Over, yeah, Google okay. DeepMind over okay. in in, um, in London. And mm-hmm. um, he, he's 
um, he's definitely behind Alpha uh, the Go game, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he came up with a lot of thoughts on reinforcement learning that I think is really exciting, um, and definitely helped us to think about AI in many different ways. Nice. Okay. And finally, what do you do to unwind? Well, that's a good. I like to walk. I like to walk. Um, and I have a good support network. Where do you walk? <laughs> um, well, in New York City, um, in near Central Park. Mm-hmm. Um, really like that walk. I have a good support network because um, found being a founder sometimes can get very stressful. Uh-huh. Um, yes, yes. Friends, family. Actually, not many people talk about this, but uh, faith community, mm-hmm. people who I can count on there to support me mm-hmm. when times very get important yeah. yeah yeah absolutely yeah. okay great i can definitely relate yeah not not the founder part but the faith faith community yeah, yeah. all right well i want to thank you for joining us today nate it's been really a fascinating discussion great so, thank you having more good things yeah. from from, uh, from buoy great questions mark sure thank you uh and uh, that'll do it uh, for today thank everybody for listening and uh, we'll see you next time on the mmnm podcast this is marcus goods signing off mm-hmm.